Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 110. We made it through another decade. <laughs> we just of episodes. You know we we like hit the two year mark and neither of us noticed. No, I, what's time anymore? What is time? I don't even know what time. <laughs> like I only notice because I'm like working backwards from. I'm like okay, so 52 weeks at, at one. Oh, four probably should have been. Anyway, oh, yeah. happy two years to us and happy two years to you guys. Happy 110 episodes. Um, hey, remember last week when I did my quickie on that piece of cake that I was going to buy? Oh, yeah. That, so if you weren't listening last week, uh, there was a an auction for Princess Diana and um, Prince Charles's wedding cake, a slice of the wedding cake that was going to be auctioned. And they were estimating that it was going to start the bidding at like $200 and they were estimating that it would get like $700, which blew my mind. Right. And like we were royal wedding cake from one of the most famous weddings and we were gonna buy it. yeah i forgot to buy it i forgot well nobody gave us any money unless somebody did buy it and didn't tell me whoever the winner was maybe do you want to know how much the cake ended up fetching as they say in london town i do it was ten thousand pounds I still actually no. way too high again. <laughs> way too high, but that does not sound unreasonable. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. It ended up fetching $2,565. Oh, so they were like lowballing it to begin Isn't with. Isn't that like, crazy? That it's two. Th- well, I mean, I guess that's why we didn't buy it because it's just. It was old more than. Cake. <laughs> it's old, it was old cake. But also, I think our cap was 500 That's right. But still. That seems incredibly low to me. It does seem incredibly low. But I guess, you know, I'm not in the old old cake auctioneer market. <laughs> um, my friend, did you guys do where you, like, saved a tier of your cake for a year, the first year, and ate it? I have no idea what happened to this cake. <laughs> Actually, I think we ended up, like, drunkenly eating the cake. In, like, because we were in New Orleans, and I don't think yeah. we brought the cake home. Oh, yeah, we ate... We, kept the topper and then ate it like the next day oh okay (laughs) but my friend bethany i think it's so great so she went to this like woman to make her cake and the woman was like listen i will make your wedding cake but i just want you to know i use duncan hines (laughs) she was like everybody says it's the best cake ever it's cheaper it's gonna be so cheap for you i'll make it look fancy i'll do i do the icing handmade but it's it's duncan hines and they were like whatever that's cool it's cheap and and every, she was like, it was true. Everybody at their wedding was like, this is the best wedding cake we've ever had. It's so moist and delicious and all these different flavors. And then she was like, yeah. And then when we, a year into the, you know, a year, their first year anniversary, took it out of the freezer and she was like, it tasted just like new. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like, like so processed. Yeah, because it's like all chemicals. Oh, oh man. <laughs> See, I am, was very lucky to be, um, very close friends with a famous pastry chef named uh, Milani Durant, who, what? yeah, she has been on Food Network. What? She's been on Amazing Wedding Cake. She listens what? to this podcast. Hi, Milani, I love you. Wait, she's, I'm sorry. Yeah. I've probably seen her because, you know, I've seen every baking you show. You probably have. She's been on uh, Amazing Wedding Cake. She was I've on um, uh, Extreme Food Network Challenge. Seen it. Do you ever see the one where they made the giant... Um, the cake inside a glass snow globe. Maybe that was Milani. <gasps> Milani, and so I You're got so the most beautiful, amazing, delicious. Like she, there was like two different flavors. One was one tier had passion fruit, lemon curd, and something something, and the other was like those. Say de leche or whatever. Just yeah. like amazing. Everybody yeah. talked about how amazing the cake was and it was gorgeous. 
Ooh. Well, that's Go. I'm going to post a picture on her post Instagram. Post a picture. Milani, I love you. <laughs> Go see her if you guys want to eat um, delicious, delicious food and pastries and breakfast sandwiches at her restaurant called Scram in Jersey City. Okay. So, yeah. It used to be a food truck in Charleston. Yeah. A totally acclaimed. Was written in, like, Food and Wine magazine and all that stuff. Bon yeah. Appetit. And then she moved her food truck and opened up a cafe I think we talked about Jersey her. City. It would just... She just opened it? Yeah, yeah. right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. So go support her. <laughs> Go support. Go support. <laughs> and tell her I said hello. Well, that's amazing. Um, I would pay 2,500 pounds for her cakes. I would, Probably. yeah. I would pay $2,500 to hug her and eat one of her breakfast sandwiches right now. <laughs> Let's we, do some quickies. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going first this week. The wedding cake talk was a good segue into my quickie. Um, this is for, is it LAD Bible or Lad Bible? I think it's Lad Bible. Ladbible.com, written by Claire Reed. And this is about um, a wedding invitation that did not go over well. Oh, I love this. I love it when they're like shitty people. Someone <laughs> called out. Yeah. So the like their names and stuff have been blurred out, but a Reddit user posted this wedding invitation that she got online with yeah. the caption that said, "My cousin sent this along with her wedding invitations. I will not be in attendance." Um, you know, like, okay, so we perform a lot at this place called The Laughing Skull, and this is one of these restaurants where it's, like, the menu is, like, and no substitutes or get out of here, you yeah. know, like, that kind of thing, right. like, where people are overly, like, uh, what's that, like, there's a restaurant where people insult you, Dick's oh, Last Dick's Resort, Last Resort. Yeah, yeah, like that, <laughs> it's kind of like that, but a wedding invitation. <laughs> I'll just read just it what too. you want. <laughs> yeah, this is a way to start a marriage. It's actually breaking balls. The top of the wedding invitation. The title of it says "Shit You Need to Know." I'm Aww. gonna read it in an obnoxious voice because that's how I imagine. I feel like they maybe read. don't have grandparents living anymore, <laughs> right? Maybe like, not. Like, I don't... It says dietary requirements. Eat what you're given, you fat fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> wedding gifts. If you wanted to give us a wedding gift, a, contribu- a contribution to our honeymoon would be perfect. <laughs> Very nice about that. Uh-huh. Dress code. Wear whatever the fuck you want. Go buck fucking naked for all we care. Yeah. Well, Next one. Is it, did this just go to their friends, I hope? I don't think so, because it was uh, along with all of the invitations. Children, leave your little shits at home. We want to get fucked up. We will turn you away. Yeah. Hotel, Google it, you lazy shit. (laughs) I can't decide how to take it. See, this is one of those things where you're like, if this is how these people are and they're being funny, like maybe their friends are also taking it as funny. I don't know. I think even my funniest friend, if I got this from my funniest friend, I would still be like, come on, I roll. You know what I mean? It's just a little too hard. Or maybe they're trying so hard to sound so chill. Like, Like, I'm so, we don't even care. We're so cool. Like, we're not even getting married. We're just going to punch each other in the face. I'm going to slap her in the tit. She's going to punch me in the dick. Honk, honk. Tune in Tokyo. We are the only two people who are getting that reference. Come on. <laughs> 16 Candles? No, wait. That was... No, no that, that was, was Breakfast Club. Or... No, no. it was Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Oh, that's right. Goddamn. <laughs> I am old. Anyway. <laughs> um, parking. Follow the fucking directions we gave you, dumbass. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And then the second one, the last one says questions. Check the fucking website. I'd love to see what their website looks like. Jen, you know how much I love to cuss, right? Like I like yeah. I like it, right? I like I'm not I am not offended by people cursing. I think it's great. Say yeah. what the fuck you want. But it's when things <laughs> when things like this, you're just like, oh, you make cussing not as fun. You make it not fun. You make, you it, make me not want to curse ever again. Right? It's like when you hear 13-year-olds cussing and you're just like, oh, 
God. Yeah. I don't want to sound like that. Yeah. I don't either. It's like when you hear, um, you know, annoying people say like a lot and then you realize you do it a lot and Mm -hmm. then you're like, I will, like, this will be the fucking death of me. See, I can't even do it. I can't do it, but I want to. I want to stop saying like. But I don't know. It just, uh, this was a painful one to read. I mean, it was fun to read. Because I got to say, fuck in your butt. <laughs> Goddamn dipshit. <laughs> Give us a present. But I, um, I'm sad for these people, and I hope they have a beautiful fucking life together, you dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your grandparents are dead. <laughs> like, for their sake. Not hell. <laughs> up on this coffee you gave me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ready to roll. Oh, I gave you a double shot of coffee. Oh, man. Woo! Sorry. You seemed like you needed up. I did need it. <laughs> um, okay, so my quickie is from klfy.com, and I think that you and I can rejoice because there is a new spot for swingers opening in southern Louisiana which I know we're both very invested in. It's called... I love New Orleans. Tree Boys Swinger Trailer Park. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yes. T-Boys and oh. Boys with an O-I. T-Boys Swinger Trailer Park. T-Boys is cool, but uh, Tree Boys is <laughs> even better. <laughs> Their motto is, bring your house and share your spouse. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the man behind T-Boys... This guy, David Aachen, said, you can come to Mamal, which is where it is. It's not New Orleans, but it's Mamal, Louisiana, for many good things. This will be one of them. And he's opening it for couples into swinging. And he says, the swinger community is surprisingly bigger than you think. He says that people who are swingers should live free and don't be scared of it. Die hard. Live free and fuck you ever you want. Um, Don't be scared of it. There's a big community of it. I think a bunch of them aren't shy. The ones that are shy, hell with them. Roll with it. It's a good thing compared to most things. (laughs) He recently bought the land and he put up a sign. It's just like a field of nothing and then there's a sign that says like coming soon the swinger park and he said that since he put up the sign outdoor park do you just like put a blanket on the ground well i think you bring your like rv oh okay okay. yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um he said he's gotten calls from swingers across the country he was like we got some calls from pennsylvania some from arkansas of course all around Acadiana, all around Mamou, Villa Platte, Lafayette. He names a lot of places in in Louisiana. We have text message from all over the country. It's mind-boggling. Butterfly New Orleans. Buffalo shrimp. (laughs) He said, most of them call and text to see if it's real, just to see if someone's going to answer, because they'll say, oh, no, nobody's there. It's not a real number. Or they'll get on Facebook and say, oh, it's not a real number. And I got there on... I got on there and said, I'd be a fat frog's butt if it's not a real number. <laughs> amazing. Uh, oh, he's amazing. A fat frog's butt. Um, on the sign he put at this, like, where this, the swingers community is going to be, he put, like, um, must send picture of your spouse for approval. But he was like, that's a, just a joke. That part's a joke. <laughs> that part's a joke. Yeah, he said, there's more of a joke to ease up the people and just create a vibe. People went further with it than you can imagine. We've got many pictures and many phone calls, texts, and voicemails. It's unreal. And David said he has one message for the haters, which I don't think is us. I think we're very excited about this. I'm excited. Um, He says, sucks to be them. There's no reason to get mad at anybody for their preference. They're not out here hurting anybody. Nobody is selling drugs here. People just want to have a good time, enjoy themselves the way they want to. That's perfectly what it is. So... Don't get too excited because this isn't opening up until Memorial Day weekend of 2022, but when it's finished, it will have a nude pool, a nude yoga stadium, a strip poker hall, and a key party cabana. And he said that you can choose to live at the trailer park, but it's also it's mostly designed to operate like a campground where swingers can come for party-themed weekends. 
And although like this idea is getting a ton of attention, they were on Adam Carolla's podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like this whole idea is getting a lot of attention. It's so much attention that until it opens, you can buy your very own T-Boy Swingers trailer park, bring your own house, share your spouse t-shirt, mug, or car decal. I can't believe it's not a t-shirt. Huh? I can't believe it's. Oh yes, you can get t-shirts. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I was like, missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, like wow. I, well, I know what some people are getting for Christmas. This year. <laughs> it's actually the kind of a cute t-shirt. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I'll have to stop by a swing by on my way the next time I go to New Orleans. <laughs> I'll bring a blanket because I don't have a trailer. Right. <laughs> oh man, good one. Thanks, dude. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a crazy story? Yeah. I've got one. Okay. I'm this gonna, one's pretty wild. I'm going to eat my macaron. Do it. They're not allowed to eat. <laughs> I, Jen provided please. coffee and macarons for our recording. Because I'm very fancy. <laughs> That's how we do it at my house. <laughs> I have a fancy latte machine and... Um, Warm towels when you walk through the door for your dirty hands. (laughs) I went to a restaurant the other day. It was just amazing. It's called Delbar. And um, they gave, like, me and my friend Danielle these, like, wet towels and some lemons. And then, um, like, when we got there, like, they brought it to the table. And then there was this, like, little bottle sitting on the table. And it looked, and she was like, is that olive oil or hand sanitizer? Because it was in a really fancy, like, dark bottle. And I was like, I don't know. And we were like, what do we, do we squeeze the lemons on our hands and then you do the towel? Do we eat the lemons? Do we eat this hand sanitizer? Oh, and the guy came to the table. We were like, is this olive oil or hand sanitizer? He was like, oh my God, hand sanitizer. (laughs) We're not good at fancy, in fancy places. The food was delicious though. I really want to try it. I, have you ever been to a Korean restaurant where they do those little like towels that they put in a little thing of water and then it expands into a towel? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Thing? We were, my mom and I were at a place in Koreatown in LA once and they brought it out and she was like, do we eat this? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I think it's to wash her hands. She was like, okay. <laughs> I need, somebody needs to write a coffee table book on how to wash your hands at tables and restaurants. What you can and cannot eat. An Emily Post (laughs) book. Um, All right. Um, So my um, story this week came from um, an article for the Oklahoman written by Brian Dean Badin. That's, that's a fun name. B, oh no. It's not. His name's Brian Dean. And then it starts to go into his email address. It's B. Dean. And then it says his email address. It's B. Dean. I can't read good. I don't know how to wash my hands. I can't go to dinner in nice places. I'm a piece of shit. Man, I, there, I feel like there's so many instances recently where I'm like realizing like, Oh, I have been out of the public for so too long. Like when we went to Santa Fe, um, my friend Grace and I, the first time we got there, we stayed at a hotel in Albuquerque. And so my friend Grace and I got there first and we're like getting in the, into the elevator and they give us a card and they're like, you have to swipe, hold your card to like go up, (laughs) to like go, you know, like go up to your floor. And it says like, hold the card on the circle. And where I'm like, which circle? Which circle? I'm just like holding it on all of the different things. Nothing's lighting up. And we're like both like holding it up against like the circle, the number circles. And then finally we look over and like on the other side of the elevator, there's a big giant circle (laughs) (laughs) to like wave your card on. And we were just like, okay. (laughs) Listen, I'm sure that happens to a lot of people that go there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Man, we're idiots. We're We're both (laughs) really dumb. Okay, so uh, thank you, uh, Brian Bedeen. (laughs) And uh, also an article from Murderpedia, Mm -hmm. um, Wikipedia, Uh and then also an episode of Snap. (gasps) Yes. I can't believe I hadn't seen this one before. But um, this is the story of Becky and Keith Bryan. 
Okay. Um, so Becky and Katie Bryan um, actually met when they were in high school. They didn't go to the same high school, but they met at a park in Lake Hefner. Keith was dri- driving by in a car with his friend, and then he saw Becky playing volleyball with her friends, and so he was like, stop the car, and made his friends stop the car. Stop the car. I saw Becky. <laughs> That's and such like a high school thing to do, right? I know. <laughs> so he ran out to her and like introduced himself, and she was like really pretty and bubbly mm-hmm. and outgoing, and like um, she, yeah, guys don't usually stop cars for like <laughs> for not like for real plain, dogs. plain Janes. Yeah. <laughs> I stop for dogs because they're cute. <laughs> So they hit it off immediately and they started dating. And so Keith was like this big football player, really handsome. He was kind of a wild man. He was known for being like kind of a bad boy. Okay. A bad boy. Uh-huh. And she um, went to a Christian school and was more straight-laced. Um, yeah. But still their attraction to each other was undeniable because they were both good-looking people in high school. <laughs> you know and they have hormones. Right. So in 1978, just a year after they both graduated high school, they ended up getting married. And for the first few years of their marriage, Keith worked in construction, but later he decided to become a firefighter. Friends all said that he was great at it. Like he was just instantly made to be a fireman. And he uh, very quickly, he went up the ranks and he became a a captain almost like right away. Becky was, um, you know, a stay-at-home mom to their two sons that they had and everyone said that she was such an amazing mother. They like went to church every Sunday. You know, she grew up going to a Catholic school and was very um, churchy. And so she got (laughs) Keith to kind of become a churchgoer. Um, they actually both sang in their church choir, and they provided premarital counseling for younger couples that were, like, about to get married. You I feel know like how, this like, churches like, make you do the yeah, yeah, I feel like this is, like, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And so they were, like, a lot of people consider them to be, you know, the perfect, like, all-American couple. Yeah. And Let me ask you this. Were they? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you know any couples that you're, like, they're the perfect couple? I know some that are pretty damn close where I'm like, what? Like, they yeah. won't even, like, bitch about their spouses. And I'm like, huh? Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I don't think that, like... Not that I don't think... I mean, I know a lot of good couples or I mean, great couples. I mean, you and Ben are pretty great. We're great, but would you ever be like, they're the perfect couple. Kind they of. have no problems. Yeah. Well, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I know we're not hiding like a crazy secret. I just also think that when people like present themselves as like, we're so happy, we're so in love, look at our children, they're perfect. Yeah, like then you, it's like, what are you trying not, to, what are you running from? Like, you're what are you not trying posting to lengthy in like social media posts about how he's the like, the most amazing Yeah. Person. I mean, you are, Ben. I know you, you're listening. You're a great <laughs> dude. But you're not, like, out there, like, trying yeah. to... It doesn't seem like you're trying to convince the world that you guys are perfect. Right. Obviously. Right. Obviously. Yeah. But you seem pretty perfect. So. <laughs> well, thank you. That's really what I was fishing for. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in 1991, Keith was promoted again to the chief of his fire department. And he also became the president of the State Fire Chiefs Association. And then in 2002, he became the Mustang City Councilman. So he was super well-known in the community. Yeah. When their son's going off to college, then Becky decided to start a career of her own, and she became a real estate agent. And she was absolutely amazing at it um, because she was so outgoing and just really driven. And in her first year, she was a top seller. Um, and she started making lots of moolah, mm-hmm. lots of money. That's what I want to do. I know, too. <laughs> so she ended up making, like, even more money than Keith was making. So um, because she was so successful, she ended up having to work a lot, and she traveled a lot for sales con- conventions yeah. and stuff like that for real estate. And he didn't mind, you know, she was out making that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she found this sort of, like, f- new freedom and independence that she hadn't had before you know she was married so young like right out of high school she never like really so was she she was probably what like not even like 40 or right around 40 when her kids left yeah probably like early 40s yeah so young yeah so young (laughs) babies so babies babies when you're 40 so um 
she started to uh, her friend said that she kind of changed a lot like she would start she started drinking mm. and she started smoking cigarettes and they oh, said man she, like, she had a real like a, high school awakening totally, totally. <laughs> and so they said that she would use like foul language and stuff <laughs> and um she was a little more shocking than usual is what she said okay or what their friend said and yeah. so there's they told this story on Snap to Baja like one night when they were all she, they were at dinner with friends like with couples mm-hmm. and when Becky got up to leave the table um she said to her friends like bye we're going to go have sex now like about her husband and but he liked it yeah you know cuz he was fine with it because she was like more sexual they were having you know what I mean right. he was getting laid and yeah, they were yeah, yeah. They were married for 30 years, and at this point, you know, things come become mundane when you're married for 30 years, so it was like he was falling in love with her all over again, because yeah. she was, like, you know, fun and free and wild and um, all that stuff, and, and also very successful. So, friends said that, like, around this time, he was, like, doting on her mm-hmm. and waiting on her hand and foot and was just, like... The, the, he was so madly in love with her. Again, people said they were the perfect couple. <laughs> Once again, they were the perfect couple. Until. Mm-hmm. On September 20th, 2011, police received a frantic 911 call from Becky telling them that an intruder had just entered um, Becky and Keith Bryan's house and walked up to her husband and shot him right in the head. Um, she told them that they had been watching TV and a 25 to 26 year old man just came in the house very specific very specific walked up to him shot him in the head and then said ma'am i'm so sorry but your husband should have hired me also very Very specific (laughs) yeah and so um she was screaming and wailing on the phone you know for them to hurry up because and get there because he was still alive he was bleeding Mm -hmm. profusely and you know she was afraid she was losing him and so when the police and the emt arrived and when they saw it was keith's house they were shocked like he was the chief and everybody knew him in the town and loved him and so he was unconscious and barely breathing and but they rushed him to the hospital and um, Becky gave the police um, the statement that this guy in his mid-20s, like I said before, walked up to him, shot him, said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but he, he should have hired me. But then she said that he ran out of the garage where she then chased after him as he sped off in a pickup truck. Uh-huh. And so the police then, of course, investigated the house for um, bullets, fingerprints, all that stuff. And they found two things. They found a bullet lodged in the couch right where he had been shot, which was obviously the bullet that killed him or shot him. And then the gun, um, and then they found the gun. And they found it in the dryer wrapped with a blanket wrapped around it and a rubber glove. Okay. Yeah. So why would that be in the dryer? You know, right. especially if the guy ran straight out to and the And, like, driveway. he took the time to, like, wrap it up. And... Yeah. Okay. Look, I'm pretty sure we both know, we all know <laughs> who the killer is. So I'm just going to go ahead and switch gears, and I'm going to read the rest of the story as the dumbest criminal in history. Yeah. <laughs> one after one, you're going to hear, and you're going to be like, what the fuck? And let me just tell you about how she is the dumbest criminal in history. Dumb love. In essence. Yeah. <laughs> and so... And, yeah. So she... Like, why she was married to someone who probably investigated things. <sighs> so the police are obviously also like, what the fuck? Because right. she said that he ran through the laundry... He left through the garage, yeah. not the laundry room. So at this point, Becky is at the hospital waiting to see what's going on with Keith. But then the police went to the hospital to question Becky because they're like, this is not right. You're a liar. Yeah. So that's when they ended up taking a formal statement from her right there at the hospital. Mm -hmm. They like went into a room. Becky told the police that she had gotten home from a trip from Tulsa, Oklahoma for work. And she got home around 8, 8 p.m. that night. And then she said that when she got home, a friend named Debbie Proctor came by and that they sat on the front porch and chatted for about 45 minutes uh, with Keith. Mm -hmm. And then her and Keith went inside and were watching a movie in the living room when all of a sudden this guy just came up out of nowhere. And then the 25 and a half year old. (laughs) Yeah. So listen to this. This is what's weird. So when she was 
describing to the police what this guy looked like. Yeah. She said that he had on a jeans and t-shirt and that he had a cute little face. Okay. Yeah, a cute little face. The man that just came into your house and Mm -hmm. shot your husband. Yeah. And then she also said that he was actually very nice because of the way that he said, sorry, ma'am, to her. Like, what the fuck? would not be your impression. No, absolutely not. You would be like... This monster. This fucking... Yeah. Yeah. And so she... And then at... So when she was giving her statement, she told gave the police this information, but she told them that a year and a half earlier, she had filed for divorce from Keith and moved out. She had uh-huh. actually gotten her own condo. Um, she said, and this was a quote um, from her during that statement, she said, he was a prick for 31 years, and once I filed for divorce, a different person showed up. She told them that... Um, that Keith very badly wanted to save their marriage when she left him, so he started wooing her and taking her out on dates again and doting on her, and after a while, she moved back in, and since then, their relationship had been amazing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She said that they went to counseling and that they were madly in love, and the police were like, yeah, but we're still going to need to like test you for the right. counter <laughs> And so the police asked her, like, so what were you wearing when he got shot? Were you, they were like, were you wearing the outfit that you're wearing right now? Yeah. Because yeah, they're ready to, like, dust her. And she goes, oh, no, I was just in a shirt and panties. And she goes, do you want my panties? <gasps> and said it just like that. Just like that. No. To the male police officer. And then she took off her shirt right, just right then and there and threw it across the table at the male police officer and both there was a male and a female officer and they were both like whoa, whoa, whoa no no not now yeah, yeah, like, yeah. put your clothes on we're gonna finish this statement that i'm gonna leave and she's going to test yeah, yeah like take your clothes and we'll give you other clothes to wear but she was like just taking off her clothes and throwing it at him and like joking it's so weird when you hear the tape like you're yeah. going do you want my panties and she like giggled like your husband just well either either I way know. like we know she did it but like you just killed your husband. Like, so, yeah, so the police are like, she her behavior is odd as hell. Like, mm-hmm. she's, this is, nothing seems right. Yeah. And then around 6 a.m. that morning, the doctor gave Becky and Keith's family the terrible news that his injuries were not survivable. Mm-hmm. And so one by one, they all went in and said their goodbyes to Keith, and shortly after, Keith passed away. And when the police start to investigate Becky, they decide to go question Debbie Proctor, the woman that she said that she'd hung out on the porch with before the shooting. And so Debbie, her friend, um, confirmed that she was on the porch hanging out that night, and she told the police that she was actually the person that drove Becky to the hospital. And then she told them that what was weird was when she was driving Becky to the hospital, Uh she said that Becky had shown her a dick pic (gasps) and was like, can you believe I had sex with this today? And then she told Debbie that the dick did not belong to Keith. What the fuck, man? I know. Like, I think there's something obviously very wrong with this woman. Like, very wrong. Yeah, this is not just like you're stupid. This is like you have snapped. Oh, she snapped. That's, that's the show. <laughs> oh, I get it now, you guys. <laughs> what? And so, um, so Becky was having an affair, and so shortly after that, the police received a phone call from a man named Mark Holbrook. Uh-huh. He had heard about the shooting and then called the police to tell them that he had had an affair with Becky. He told them that they had met two years earlier at a realtor's conference. So they hooked up at the conference, and then they started meeting up at motels for sex every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, things became more serious, and then um, they actually talked about leaving their spouses to be together. Mark said, though, that him and Becky broke up in New Year's 2010. This was when Becky had filed for divorce already, and she had oh, moved okay. out. So she was ur- urging Mark to do the same thing. Like, why haven't you left your wife yet? Yeah. But Mark told her that he wanted to work things out with his wife. And mm-hmm. so then that's when they ended up uh, breaking up. But Becky was not happy about it, and she would text him all the time. Yeah. All the time. And she even texted him once telling him that she was pregnant with his baby. And he was like, you're 51. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. My God, she really did have like a teenage 
like break. Totally. (laughs) Yes. Like don't get married at 18 y'all. Yeah. And so, um, (laughs) completely stunted. Yes. It stunted her growth. And so after, and, um, listen, I'm sure some of you got married at 18 and you're still happily married. Yeah. Good for you. But you know, I also wouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So when she texted him that she was pregnant, he just ignored her messages. Yeah. Yeah. She's, you know, off the deep end or whatever so then that's when becky moved back in with keith when she knew that things were over with mark she still continued to text mark all the time and tell him that she loved him that she missed him and but he ignored her and then she eventually stopped texting him until the very day of keith's murder she texted him telling him that she loved him and then she missed him again so she called him and left a voicemail saying that she loved him and that she wanted to be with him and then she also told him that she would be coming into an inheritance soon oh my god see like she was trying to get caught and then the police were like so were you the dick in the dick peck and he was like no that's a different dick Just like, let me see. Yeah. <laughs> so the police got him to call Becky and record it to see if they could get a confession off yeah. out of her, you know? So he called her and was like, Becky, what's going on? I just heard about Keith. Are you okay? And she says, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay. They actually found Keith's killer. He had shot himself and um, he's dead now, so I'm not in any danger. Isn't that crazy? Like from the No, not she wasn't at the jail. No, but they yeah. hadn't found the right. killer, you know what I mean? So they're like, why is she lying about that? And then so then he asked him, like, well, what, what was that thing you were talking about saying that you're getting an inheritance? And he, she was like, oh, no, that was my aunt died this morning, so she left me an inheritance. Okay. Like, but, like even though all the stuff she was saying was blatant lies, yeah. they still didn't have, like, a confession. And she kept telling him on the phone how much she loved him and wanted to be with him. And he was like, Becky, I, like, I want to be with my wife. I was just calling to ask you about Keith. Yeah. And she was like, okay, I understand, I understand. And got off the phone. But, yeah, they so they didn't have a confession. But what they did have is that they found out that the gun, the ballistics came back that the gun in the dryer matched the bullet that killed Keith. So okay. they had that. And then the gunshot residue test also showed that there was gunshot residue on her, on one of her hands, and not on the one that she would have been wearing the rubber glove on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. So dumb. And it was on her panties. Ugh. I hate that Gross. <laughs> and so just three days after Keith's murder, Becky Ryan was arrested for the murder of her husband. And, of course, the whole community was shocked. He was the police chief, and she was, like, a churchgoer and a church mm-hmm. marriage counselor. And they seemed like the perfect couple. She was this fancy real estate agent. Yeah. And then on May 8th, 2013, which was her 54th birthday, was the day her trial began. And during the trial, it was actually um, brought to light that Becky was having affairs with multiple people. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, so different dicks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> different picks. <laughs> yeah. So Becky Proctor, um, her friend, testified that she was having an affair with a man in Dallas just a week before Keith's murder. And she also talked about that she had showed her that dick pic in the car. Yeah. And then they actually were able to track down the dick in the pit. <laughs> and he testified. Can you imagine being like, is this you? <laughs> Let me see. And like, drop him. <laughs> and so they tracked him down, and he was another real estate agent. And he had testified that he had had sex with Becky on the very afternoon that Keith was murdered yeah. in Tulsa. And so then another man took the stand, and he told um, them that he was another real estate agent at the convention in Tulsa and then he said that he had only met Becky for a few minutes and he was there with his wife when he met Becky and they exchanged numbers you know for professional purposes Uh and later that day Becky started sending him nude pictures of herself with (gasps) saying like I'm in the hotel come find me or come get me and he ignored it but there were actually several men who were at this conference who said that they all got nude pictures from her saying come find me in the hotel yeah and so of course her ex-lover Mark Holbrook also testified against her and he played the voicemails that you know she had left for him the day of the murder and the defense 
claimed that Becky didn't have a motive. Like, why would she... Like, that was the only thing they had to go on. Like, yeah. why would she... She was the successful one, even more fi- financially successful. Also, she had filed for divorce before. Like, why wouldn't she just do that again? Like, why would she kill him? It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, they also said that she had had many affairs, but just because she did that, that does not make her a murderer. Right. But on May 21st... Like, yeah, but the gunshot residue kind of does. That does. <laughs> On May 21st, 2013, the jury had a verdict, and they found her guilty of first-degree murder. Mm. And she was sentenced to life without parole, and she has since filed for an appeal, but no no dice. No dice. Sorry, Becky. But, like, I understand, like, I don't understand, but, I mean, the defense, of course, yes, she doesn't have any motive, but to me, it sounds like, like you're saying, I'm saying, she did it because... she was mentally not right. right. Yeah. She was something unstable. had happened. She had snapped. Yeah. She had snapped. And um, yeah. It's that's the sad story of Keith Bryan and Yeah. And sad for Becky because it does sound like she had just lost her mind. Yeah. 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 And sad for their kids. Yeah, that's real sad. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot they had kids. Yeah. Dang it, Jen. Sorry. <laughs> Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. I think we can use one right now. Okay, this is a fun one. I got my information from a bunch of sources. Oprah Daily by Michelle Darisaw. The Sun by Catherine Schaffstall. Biography by Sarah Kettler. Rolling Stone by Deborah Evans-Price. And The Insider by Max Kalnitz. Dang, that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, is this a high-profile love story? It is a high-profile love story. So... Our favorite celebrity crush, who is not Steve Harvey, is causing a splash recently. Tosimos? Uh Nope, with a sexy Instagram video, and I'm talking about Dolly Parton. Oh, yay! Yeah. So a few weeks ago, Dolly, there's this video that she posted on her Instagram of Dolly dressed up in a Playboy bunny costume, and she had photos taken to commemorate her famous Playboy cover that was taken 43 years ago. And Jen, she did it all for a man. Aww. And that man is her husband of 57 years, Carl Thomas Dean. Oh, how sweet. Yeah, and so when I read that, it made me think, like, wait, Dolly has a husband? Yeah, I never even... <laughs> I didn't know. She's been married for I knew she had a Jolene. Years. I didn't know she had a husband. She has a Carl <laughs> Thomas Dean. A Bedeen. A Bedeen. <laughs> Uh, so today I'm going to tell the story of Dolly and the man who has been quietly by her side while she went from a new face in Nashville to superstardom to everyone's favorite person in the world. Oh, yay. Yeah. Okay. So the man behind the woman. The man behind the woman. Once. Right. I don't know much about him because he's very, very elusive, but... So Dolly Parton moved to Nashville from her hometown of Sevierville, Tennessee, which you may know for Dollywood, um, in 1964 when she was just 18. She was the fourth of 12 children born into a very poor tobacco farming family. The family actually lived in a one-bedroom house where the kids slept like three or four to the bed. So they were very poor. And it was obvious, though, from a young age that Dolly had, like, a real talent and charisma. And she had an uncle who was also, like, a singer and a, um, also a singer and a songwriter. And he introduced her to a creator of a local radio program and TV show in the Sevierville area called the Cass Walker Farm and Home Hour. So when she was just 10, she started performing on the show and she soon became a regular because, of course, everybody loved her. And in 1959, when she was just 13 years old, Johnny Cash introduced her on the stage at the Grand Old Opry. And she actually earned three encores for her performance. So people were like, come back. We love you. You're so cute. So when she moved to Nashville at 18, she was already signed to a record label. She and she had had like some success as a singer and as a songwriter, but she was not a household name. She was more known for like her songwriting with her Uncle Bill. So actually on her very first day in the city, she was at a laundromat called the Wishy Washy Laundromat, which I think is the best name ever for a laundromat. She was cleaning some clothes because she said she'd been in such a rush to move 
that she'd packed all dirty clothes. So she threw the clothes in the washer and she was walking around the street and this tall, dark-haired, good-looking guy drove by and was like, hey, you're going to get sunburned out there. And Dolly called back, what's it to you? Uh And then the guy, Carl Thomas Dean, who was 21 at the time, pulled over and the two started talking. And Dolly actually said that she was not looking for love at the time. She told Interview Magazine, I graduated on a Friday night, went to Nashville on a Saturday morning with dirty clothes, and I went to a laundromat looking for anything but love. I had just left two boyfriends back home. (laughs) But according to Carl, it was love at first sight. He said, my first thought was, I'm gonna marry that girl. My second thought was, Lord, she's good looking. And that was the day my life began. Aww. Really sweet. So Dolly was um, living with her aunt and uncle, and so she and she was babysitting for some cousins at the time. And so she invited Carl to come over to come over while she was babysitting to talk. So he would come and sit out on the fire escape while the little boy she was babysitting was sleeping. He did this for like a week straight until she finally agreed to go on a date. And on their very first date, he took her to meet his parents. So, and I think that's probably, like, maybe sweeter because of the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> like, now you'd be like, walk away. <laughs> <Yeah>. Do not. <laughs> but uh, I think it's very sweet. So soon after they started seeing each other, Carl actually had to enlist in the Army. And he served two years during which they dated long distance. But as soon as Carl got back from Nashville, they got engaged. But Dolly was, like poised for stardom at that like very moment and her record her record label knew it they knew that they had a star on their hands yeah. they were starting to invest in her and so they actually asked her not to get married because they were worried that it was going to have a negative effect on her career uh, she, this was 1966 and she had just gotten her big break by singing the demo put it off until tomorrow for country music artist bill phillips and her first solo hit dumb blonde was gaining momentum on the music charts but Dolly wouldn't hear of it. She said, I was so in love with Carl, I couldn't see straight. So instead of the big wedding that they had wanted, they ended up going just across the Tennessee state line to Ringgold, Georgia with Dolly's mom to just have a quiet ceremony that wouldn't gather any attention. So Dolly said she knew she wouldn't really feel married if they went to a courthouse. So they ended up finding this little Baptist church and they asked the reverend, like, would you marry us? Dolly's mom made her a little white dress and gave her a Bible and flowers for the wedding and her mom acted as the witness. And Dolly actually said that every year since, they go back to Ringgold on their anniversary. Aww. Sweet. That is sweet. Carl has always been supportive of Dolly's dreams, even like while they were dating and marriage was the same. Like... The morning after their wedding, she had to get up early for a radio appearance. They delayed their honeymoon because she had commitments with her record label. And she said, he understood what I had to do and what I had come to Nashville to do. He never tried to make me give it up. While Carl has been incredibly supportive of Dolly, there is a reason most of us probably haven't heard of him, and that is because he's just not comfortable in the limelight. Dolly said that Carl has gone to exactly one industry event with her. It was in 1966, right after they got married, Dolly was being honored with a songwriting award. And she said, this was my first big record. You have to imagine all of this in Dolly. Like she gives such good quotes and it's all, like you have to imagine it in her accent, which I'm not gonna try to do because she's like so iconic, but Uh I want to, just know I want to. Just try, do a little, come on. It went to number one. (laughs) (laughs) That (laughs) shit or get off the pot. That's my favorite. That's pretty good. Um, She said it went to number one for Bill. So this was Bill Phillips was a a country singer at the time, and it was BMI's song of the year. So Carl and I got dressed up. He was in a tux, and we drove to dinner. We got out and walked up to the red carpet and went inside and sat through the dinner and the awards. After the dinner, Carl turned to me and said, "Dolly." I want you to have everything you want, and I'm happy for you, but don't ever ask me to go to another one of these dang things again. And so, and Dolly was fine. Over the years, Carl, who owned the asphalt business until he retired, he just took steps to kind of stay out of. That's so cool that he, like, you know, maintained his asphalt business while she was, like, crazy wealthy, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she actually said that she doesn't, she's like, he's, he's, I, the business is my business. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously they share the money, but like, she's like, it's my business. It's, he doesn't give me business advice. I don't give him business advice for his asphalt business. Yeah. yeah. 
And Dolly just said she understood why he didn't want to be in the spotlight. She said he knows if he ever started doing interviews and if people started photographing him and all that, then he wouldn't be able to go to the auto parts store or the ball games or the places he wants to go without being bothered. Right. And I guess reporters, like, sometimes, you know, I mean, they stake out he and Dolly's home. They know where they live because they live in, like, either in Nashville or in Sevierville. And he says... Sometimes he would tell if like reporters would spot him, he'd be like, oh yeah, no, I'm the gardener. And Dolly actually says she thinks the difference between them makes them perfect for each other. She said, God knew I needed somebody like him if I was going to be doing all this crazy stuff. But he knew he was going to need somebody like me because Carl is pretty much a loner. He doesn't really want to be with anybody but me. And Dolly said that he's very private and she's always respected him for that. And she said, we just try to live our lives. Everybody's not entitled to every single thing you do and thought that you think, although I do try to share as much of my life as I possibly can. I'm not holding back any information, but there are just some things that are sacred and private. Aww. And in fact, like because they are so private about their relationship and Dolly is so public about so many other things, like over the years, this has, of course, sparked a lot of rumors about their relationship because he wasn't never went to like anything with her. You know, right. like it was, there were a lot of questions about the nature of the relationship. Some people said that it was a cover up for a love affair for her lifelong friend, Judy Ogle, who I think was like an assistant for a uh. while. And I mean, they were apparently very, they went to a lot of stuff together. They're very close, but Dolly has like scoffed at the idea of a romance. She said, she's not my lover. She's never been my lover. If we were lovers, I would not be ashamed of it. I just say there's a great love between us. So there. Yeah. Which I just love that. But she's like, yeah, I would be happy to say that this woman is my lover, but she's not. So there was also tabloids wrote about that she had an affair with Burt Reynolds and Kenny Rogers. And she said that that her husband, Carl, was never upset by any accusation. She said he's very secure of, of her husband. She said he's very secure with himself. He's never been jealous. It's a great compliment to me. This is his statement. Well, hey, I know it's not easy out there. I'd feel less about any man that didn't fall in love with you. Aww. Which is very sweet. So... While Dolly says that she and Carl have stayed true to each other, she does say that part of their faithfulness is because they allow each other to flirt with abandon. In an interview, Dolly said that men are my weakness. Short, bald, fat, skinny. I've had crushes on some very unusual men, but Carl knows I'll always come home and I'm not having sex with these people. I'm just flirting and having fun. He's not jealous and I'm not jealous of him. He knows I flirt. He flirts too. And actually, in fact, one of Dolly's most famous songs, Jolene, was based in part on a bank teller who Dolly said that Carl was spending a little too much time with. Oh. And so she had to put an end to it. And so oh, wow. She said he has actually also been the inspiration for most of her great love songs, including her 46th album, which was called Pure and Simple, which was released in 2016 in time for their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. And Dolly said, told Rolling Stone, I was just trying to think about all the different colors of love through the years. And I thought, well, I'm going to write about mine and Carl's relationship. It's just a pure and simple relationship. Aww. So in 2016, in honor of their 50th wedding anniversary, the couple decided to renew their vows and have the big wedding that they couldn't in 1966. And she said that she got all dressed up in the most beautiful gown you've ever seen and dressed that husband of mine up. He looked like a handsome dude out of Hollywood. And they had family and friends around. She said it was pretty simple. We had a simple little ceremony at our chapel at our place. We just had fun with it. And Dean said, I wouldn't trade the last 50 years for nothing on this earth. And Dolly says, not everyone is lucky enough to be with someone for 50 years, but I have been. He has been the love of my life and the life of my love. So the couple never had kids. And Dolly actually said, early on when my husband and I were dating and then got married, we just assumed we'd have kids. We weren't doing anything to stop it. In fact, we thought maybe we would. We even had names, but it didn't turn out that way. She said, now that I'm older, I realize I didn't have kids of my own, so everybody's kids could be mine. I want to empower children and give them confidence. And that is, I don't know if you've heard, you know of her, she has a nonprofit called the Imagination Library, mm-hmm. which she's given like 160 million books to kids. Oh, wow. And it's all to like promote um, literacy, which is honor of her father because her father never learned to read. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes. 
So Dolly sometimes jokes that the time, their time apart is the key to her long marriage. She says, I always joke and laugh when people ask me what's the key to my long marriage and lasting love. I always say, stay gone. And there's a lot of truth <laughs> to that. I stay gone a lot, so we're excited when we see each other. And when they are together, they like to travel, but not far. They have a little RV and they spend weekends going, like driving all over Tennessee and Kentucky to areas where they can like get back home after, you know, just for after a night. She said, sometimes we'll stay over at a day's inn where we can just pull up and sneak me in. We don't care as long as the bed's clean and there's a bathroom. That's how we live. <laughs> she said that they like to go to out of the way places where other people don't go. They like to see history or places that are just except, exceptionally beautiful. So in July of this year, Dolly, who we know basically tried to save all of our lives by inventing slash funding the COVID vaccine, yes. um, posted that video that I was telling you about of her in a bunny costume. And the occasion was Carl's birthday. Aww. And she said, remember some time back when I said I was going to pose on Playboy magazine when I was 75? Well, I'm 75 and they don't have a magazine anymore, but my husband always loved the original cover. So I'm trying to think of something to make him happy. Aww. He still thinks I'm a hot chick after 57 years and i'm not going to try to talk him out of it she is a hot chick she is so she's there's like the picture of her on instagram she's like holding up the framed covers it was of her from her her playboy cover uh -huh. and then her in this like bunny costume she got these pictures made and dolly said that back then she was a little butterball and now she's a string cheese and then she <laughs> says but i hope my husband will think i'm a cream cheese which is very cute and Dahlia said that the real secret to their marriage is that at the end of the day, we love each other madly. We're not afraid that one of us is going to run off with someone else because we couldn't find in nobody else what we found in each other. Aww. That's sweet. That it's so sweet. And I'm, I'm cheating and I'm looking at pictures of them and they're so cute. Awesome. Good one, dude. Thanks, I love dude. it. And that was suggested to me by Ben. See, perfect couple. Perfect couple. <laughs> They're the perfect couple. Oh, don't say that. Okay. Are you ready to do something dumb and something we love? Jen, I am ready because you know we're going to get pizza after this. I know. I'm, I'm like ready, ready for, pizza. for pizza. <laughs> Jen right. texted me at like 9.30 this morning was like, um, where do you want to go to dinner? <laughs> Listen, I think about dinner 24 hours a day. And I was like, it's all I was I just about. wondering about that. I'm thinking about tomorrow's dinner and the next dinner and the next dinner. I'm thinking about next Thursday's dinner. <laughs> but we're going to go get pizza and I'm very excited. <laughs> Something dumb. Yeah, I guess it's just that I'm, uh, I love food too much. That's not dumb. I love food. <laughs> um, no, also... Um, Something as dumb as how quickly time is going by. It's crazy because I wanted to do for something I love. Um, this Sunday, my niece, who was a baby five seconds ago, mm -hmm. a teeny tiny little baby, is turning 16 years old. And I know she listens to the podcast, so I just wanted to say happy sweet 16, my darling princess, Sophia. Sophia, happy Such birthday. a beautiful girl and so smart and she's brilliant and the sweetest and... Um, I wish I could buy you a car, but instead I'm going to get, I'm get, well, I'll give you your present after this comes, no, before this comes out. What is it? I'm going to take her to see Hamilton. <gasps> but the fucking COVID doesn't, I'm going to jinx this whole thing because it's the curse of the podcast. Curse but, of the pod. Uh, but I hope to take you there because I love it so much. And uh, happy birthday, baby. Happy birthday. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Okay, so for my something dumb, I well, I was texting you on the way over here that I was like, I'll be over. I have to take Max home because he refuses to get out of the car at his <laughs> friend's house. Um, he just like I just school is school's wearing him out. I Aww, you know, Bubba. Yeah, I know. We like we've had we have this like we take we trade like after school care with our, our friends Jeff and April and their little guy Archer. And so I was like dropping him off over there. And he just was like, I don't want, I don't want to get out there. I just want to be home. And I was like, I can see how tired you are. And he's hungry. But I'm just like, I just felt like such a bad mom. And not that I know I'm not a bad mom, but yeah. it was like one of those things where I was like, just trying everything to like get him out of the car. <laughs> so I was like, come on, I know you'll be happy once you get in there. This is your best buddy. You come to these people's house 
all the time. It's not like, and he just would like, was like on the floorboard crying Aww. and like refusing to get out. And I'm like, what do I do in this situation? Do I like drag him out of the car? That seems unnecessary. Yeah. Right? Like I don't, I don't want to leave our friends with a, a, crying, a crying child. Kid. Yeah. And like... You know, and I also am like, I get it. You probably are really tired. There are times when I don't want to go places. You know, that's the thing we forget about kids is that, like, you know, they really don't have any free will. Yeah. And that can be really frustrating because we tell them where to go and what to do all I the know. time. And sometimes they need to, like, you know, if they're tired and they tell yeah. us, then we have to listen. But I know. sometimes they're lying. And also, sometimes I just was <laughs> like, I don't want to like. Start, like, I was on the way home. I was like, listen, buddy, I get it. You're probably tired. You're hungry because he's getting used to this lunch where they have like five minutes to eat. And yeah, you know, I was like, I get it. I am, I am tired at the end of the week too. I was like, but the reason you go to Archer's and Archer comes to us is because Dad and I have to work. So yeah. like, we can't. It's not doable. You have to go when we say you have to go. So he was like, oh, okay. And I was just like, ah. Oh feel bad that he's making him cry and you know I mean it was just the whole thing so anyway it's just just the commiseration of feeling like I was not doing anything right and also feeling bad I know I just felt bad that he was like tired he was tired and also I was like angry (laughs) because I'm like come get out of the way we're standing there like yeah like they're standing there waiting like I was like oh I'm sorry man um so that's dumb kids are dumb and something I love is pizza. Pizza. <laughs> something I love is going to get pizza. <laughs> then let's go get some. Let's go get some pizza. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Do you want to do all the things? Yeah, you go. You know, find us on all the socials uh, at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Please rate and review. Please tell a friend. Uh, yeah, we would love that so much. And we love you guys. We love you so much. We dumb love you so much. And make sure that you get out there safely and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum da dum dum da dum 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 da 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 dum